Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 165 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 4th of February 2018, entitled Two Eternal Abodes, A Place Called Hell, Part 4. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 20 to 30. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. We'll be taking our reading from verses 20 through verse 30. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy and precious word, beginning in Matthew, chapter 5, and verse 20. Jesus says, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, Whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body shall be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body shall be cast into hell. Father, I want to thank you that we have your word before us. And though we approach, again, a passage and subject this morning that, Lord, it's not easy, but it's vital that we understand the truth about this matter. It is so important, Lord, that we understand what it is that you teach us about it. And it was so important that, Lord, you spoke and taught about it often. So I pray as we gather here this morning, Lord, you know every heart. And you know for what reason that we need this passage because we know that it's all profitable for all of us. So help us this day, Lord. And Lord, we pray earnestly that if there be one in our midst today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, 
Lord, I pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would convict that heart, that you would convict that soul, that you would help them to realize not only their sin, but the price that was paid for them to be rid of that sin today. And Lord, if there's one here that, well, they, they've been washed in the blood, but they're just, they're really not walking, Lord, in, in, in unity with you where they ought to be. There's things that is dividing their communion with you. Lord, please, they'll never know that true peace and joy until that is removed, so help them, Lord. And Father, for each and every one that is maybe doing their very best to try to walk with you where they ought to, but Lord, I pray that you would take and use this message this morning to give us that which we know, need to, to understand, to, to be able, Lord, whether it's to build us up or whether it's to challenge us afresh, do in our hearts that which only you can do. And we will give you all the praise and thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. We have been discussing for a number of weeks as we've been looking to see what the Word of God teaches us about the two eternal abodes. Every human being will spend eternity somewhere. Those two places, in English at least, we call heaven and hell. It was a glorious time to look at what the Word of God teaches us about that place called heaven. But it is just as vital that we understand, because every one of us here this morning, every family member that you have, every friend that you have, every acquaintance that you have, and everybody out there that you've never met or known that has gone before you and that comes after you, they will all spend eternity in one of these two places. It's vital that we understand. And so in recent weeks, we've been looking at that other eternal abiding place. There's only heaven, and there's only hell. We've seen that there, there is no in-between. That's all unbiblical. It's all unscriptural. We've already laid that ground. These are the only two places. We know that when we leave this body, if you are a child of God, if you are born again, if you belong to God, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We know that the body goes back to the ground, but we know that that soul immediately goes into the presence to be with Him. We know that one day we saw where that, that body will be raised once again, just as Jesus rose from the dead. We will be joined again, and we will be changed in the moment of a twinkling of an eye, and we'll have that redeemed body that we can spend eternity in heaven with Him. But we also realize that for those that are not prepared when they leave this world, that there is an eternity. And we've looked at that place called hell, and, and thus far we've already looked at three of the words in the, in the New Testament that are translated hell in our English Bible. The first we looked at was this place called Tartarus, which was being used in Scripture only one time. It was being used as that place where those angels had been bound those angels had been confined uh, until something else is coming for them later. We talked about Sheol, the Old Testament place of, 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 of the spirits of the bodies when they left this world, the place of the dead, the unseen world. We looked at a number of things there, and then the counterpart to that in the New Testament, that place called Hades, and we looked just last week 
that great description that the Lord gave us himself of the rich man and the beggar as they both ended up in that place. And we saw that all of these three places, they're all hell. But those places, all of them we saw, just as we saw with heaven, it was immediate, but there was something else coming later once we received that new body. There was more to come. The same with hell. We've seen that these first three, they are immediate. When we leave this world, if we're not prepared, that's where we immediately go, in hell. In Hades is where he lifted up his eyes. We also saw that it's intermediary. We're only there for a time because Hades will be cast into the lake of fire. We come today to this fourth word that's translated in our Bibles, in our King James Bibles, as hell. We find that of the 23 times, that's how many times that you find the word hell in your New Testament. Now, it's not the only places that the Bible talks about hell because we will see as we progress through, there are many other places that undoubtedly there can be no question that is describing and talking about this place, but there's 23 times that that word is translated. One was Tartarus, 10 were Hades, and the 12 remaining times in our New Testament comes from this word Gehenna. And Gehenna is the one that is used more than any of the others. As a matter of fact, 11 of those times that it's mentioned in the Bible are spoken by Jesus himself. Jesus himself. That should tell us something. That should tell us something because he was the only one walking on the face of the earth that would know. He was certainly the only one that said in judgment of man's eternal destiny. That's why that he was the one that could speak with authority on what heaven was going to be like, but also what hell was going to be like. The final time that is used in your body, that 12th time was spoken by James uh, when he wrote his book, and there he was using it to, speaking of the destruction of our tongue like the fire of Gehenna. So we find that in every time that Jesus spoke of it, you see, we've said this before, and I would remind you this morning, I know, I know it's not a cheery subject. I know full well, as a matter of fact, it is one of the hardest subjects that any preacher will ever preach on. I'd rather get big smiles on your face and joy and wave those hands a bit and, and praising God for all of his goodness. But folks, Jesus meant for us to understand and know, and we need to. And part of the problem is today because it is such a hard subject to broach because it is something that so many times we honestly feel is going to offend people. And I promise you, it will. It is offensive to many. But that doesn't make it not true. And Jesus Christ wants us to know and to understand. You see, many avow that there is no place called hell. They say that it's a place that has been made up by man. By organized religion is what most of them believe. But they've made it up to be able to frighten people into submission. To do what the church wants them to do. It's just like most subjects when you begin to really research and study out. 
Man, there's all kind of dates that are tossed around out there. <laughs> and we'll have to admit that the actual word hell, because they say we put it there. Well, the actual word hell was not translated into the Bible as we know it in our English Bible until around 1380. And that was because the first known Bible in the English was translated by Wycliffe, and the Wycliffe Bible was the first one to use it in every one of the 12 instances that we still have recorded in our King James Bible. They were recorded as hell, H-E-L-L-E, in his day. But that's the only way. When it was translated over, Gehanna was translated as hell because Gehanna itself is not a literal word. It is a transliterated word. It was brought over from the Hebrew to describe this place. You see, the word Gehana is the word that's found in the original manuscripts. It's therefore the word that Jesus uses that is translated in our Bible when he says Gehana is translated as hell in your Bibles. So if we're to obtain true biblical understanding of this place, however hard that it might be, however distasteful that it might be, it seems imperative that we understand what Jesus has to say about it, not what's comfortable for us, not what any church has tried to make it, but what does the Bible say about it? Is hell a real place? We've certainly seen if you believe the Bible, if you don't believe the Bible, then it doesn't make any difference anyway. You're probably not going to believe anything that we say. You can't believe the Word of God and not grasp and understand that the Word of God declares very, very vividly and very, very clearly that there is that intermediate place that people go to immediately when they leave this life. But we're talking about eternal abodes. And so therefore we move to this place this word named Gehenna is transliterated from the Hebrew expression, which originally was Gabin-Hinnom. And, of course, that simply meant the valley of the sons of Hinnom, and it was later shortened to Gehenim, which is the valley of Hinnom. And even to today, the Hinnom Valley is still outside of the gates of Jerusalem. You see, the Valley of Hinnom was and is a real place. It's a ravine. It's a valley. That's why it's called that on the very southwest border of the ancient city of Jerusalem. It's just outside the city wall, outside where the main city was, and it stretches all the way from the foot of Mount Zion right to the Kidron Valley. It's a real place that Jesus was using to describe where people were in danger of where people would spend eternity. Now, it's just an observation, something to kind of tuck back. You know, I, I love these things as we're studying and researching and we, we see these little tidbits. Well, if my research is correct, I am fallible, but I find that, that here in the Hinnom Valley, that in fact the lowest point of the Hinnom Valley is the lowest point of Jerusalem. There is no point in Jerusalem that's lower than the Hinnom Valley. Guess what the highest point in Jerusalem is? Anybody know? The Temple Mount. <laughs> They're still fighting over it today because they see it as such a holy place. You see, 
The Temple Mount is supposed to be the holiest place, the highest place in the city where the temple itself stood, which was representative of the very presence of God. Isn't it interesting <laughs> that if, if that Mount, Temple Mount, is the highest point, which is symbolic of the presence of God, and it's where that the things of God were built, isn't it interesting that the place that Jesus uses to symbolize the place that we call hell is the lowest point of the city, symbolic of the least holy place, the furthest away from God, and representative, believe me, of the presence of evil and Satan. Do you think that's a coincidence? I don't think so. I don't think so. You see, the place called Gehenna is first mentioned in Scripture by Joshua in Joshua 15.8. And it was when the land was originally being divided between the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And Gehenna was the place that defined the border between the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. That was the border between them. At that time, it seems to have been just that, a valley, a valley that created a natural border between two separate peoples. Later, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 7, and this is important. Why is this important? Because there's a reason. Why did Jesus use this word that's translated hell in our Bibles? Why did Jesus use Gehenna when he was describing this place? In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 7, King Solomon, who had had a heart for God, but King Solomon turns away from God. He turns his heart away from Jehovah God, and he erects a place of worship, and he erects that place right here in Gehenna, and he erects it to celebrate the rites of the pagan god Molech. That was almost a thousand years before Jesus Christ came. We know from Scripture that this practice, this place that was dedicated to Molech and the rites that were carried on there, we know that they continued on through other kings like Ahaz and, and Manasseh. You can look in 2 Chronicles chapter 28 and 2 Chronicles chapter 33, and you can read all about it. But let me tell you, Molech worship, it was one of the most abhorrent, detestable religions imaginable to man as sacrifices into the fiery arms of the god Molech. Children were made to walk into the fire alive. Infants were taken by their parents and tossed into the fire as sacrifices to Molech, the god. Oh, the prophets, prophet Isaiah, Jeremiah, you'll find them condemning this place, but it was like, 370 years, for 370 years from the time that, that Solomon first put that place there to Molech, for 370 years, till King Josiah came along. <laughs> and King Josiah turned his heart to God. And under King Josiah's reformation, he determined in his heart to turn the land back to Jehovah God. And it was his covenant around 624 B.C that brought an end to the awful practice that had been taking place in this valley for almost 400 years. That's a long time, folks. <laughs> I don't plan to be around that long. 
If I am, I'd hate to see the condition I'm in, but that's a long time that these detestable things were there. We'd read in 2 Kings chapter 23. Let's turn there. 2 Kings chapter 23. We haven't time to read all these scriptures. I'm trying to give them to you. Jot them down. If you don't get them, come and see me. I'll gladly give them to you in my notes. But in 2 Kings chapter 23, I want us to read what King Josiah did to this place. Let's look down in verse, verse 10. It says, and this is speaking of Josiah under his reformations. He says, and he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire to Molech. He's the one that finally just said nobody else is going to sacrifice their children in the fire to this god Molech. And he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had given to the son at the entering in of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Malak, the chamberlain, which was in the suburbs, and burned the chariots of the sun with fire. And the altars were on the top of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Did the king beat down and break them from thence and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron and the high places that were before Jerusalem which were on the right hand of the mount of corruption, which Solomon the king of Israel had builded for Ashtoreth, the abomination of Zeronians, and for the Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the children of Ammon, did the king defile, and he broke in pieces the images and cut down the groves and filled their places with the bones of men. He went through and he destroyed all that these other kings had put up there in this valley to worship these false gods. He said, no more. No more. He defiled the land by putting the bones of dead people there. We find that he wanted to make sure that there were no more of these sacrifices that took place. He broke all their images to pieces and he filled the place with dead men's bones. After that, it became a rejected and repulsive part of the city. It's where all the refuse and the garbage was dumped. It was the common cesspool for the city's sewage and the solid filth and any petrifying matter that was within the city, literally anything that defiled the holy city, it went into the valley of Hinnom. It's ever-burning fires. Never, ever went out. They burned night and day with all the, the refuse and everything that was there. It was also the place where the evil people, the, the dead bodies of the criminals that were executed, that's where they were tossed, into the fires, into the fires in the valley of Hinnom. We find that it became to be known, those smoldering fires, it became to be known as the abode of lost spirits. The abode of lost spirits because of those evil people, their bodies that were tossed there. Folks, that's not a pretty story. It's a brief, very brief summary of this place called Gehenna. If we're to understand what Jesus was saying to us, we need to know why did he use the Valley of Hinnom? Why did he name this place where we will spend eternity if we don't know him as our Savior, why did he call it 
Gehenna, which is the place that Jesus uses, just as they had used it to, to symbolize the abode of lost spirits. It's what Jesus uses for the eternal abode of lost spirits. May I say to you this morning, folks, call it whatever you want to. Call it what you will. But what I want us to do is to, to define it from what God says about it, not what anybody else says. What Jesus, what was the picture he was trying to give us? What was he trying to tell us about this place? We all need to know today because if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm not doing you any favors. I'm just kind of tiptoeing around this subject and not mentioning it because it might be offensive to you. It might be offensive to your friends. But I'll tell you something else that I hope offends you even more. After you're reminded of what it's like, if you're not trying to do everything in your power to keep your family and your friends out of that place, then I hope to God that you begin to get a greater glimpse of one of the most horrible sights that you can ever lay eyes on because that's where people will go. That's where the people that you care about so you see, if you're here and you're lost, you better wake up and you better understand there's only two places that we're all going to spend eternity. I don't care what religion says. I don't care how tasteful that we want to make it. There's only two places if we believe the Bible, if we've got any hope at all. This is a fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. And it's not a made-up place. I want to give you the words of what Jesus himself said. You see, we find only two options for this eternal abiding place. We call them heaven. We call them hell. <laughs> call them whatever you want. I'm not even like asking you to like this place called hell or like what I say or like what I preach about it. Jesus clearly didn't like it. <laughs> Jesus despised it. Jesus warned everybody about it. He didn't like it. But he ended up giving his own life on the cross as payment so that you don't have to go there. And your family and your friends, what are you willing to pay? What are you willing to do that the people that you know don't go there? We, we, we take it all so lightly. You see, I can't imagine anybody liking hell. I can't imagine anybody getting up here like I'm having to do this morning and talk about it and preach about it. I can't imagine anybody enjoying that. I'm not asking you to enjoy it. But I'm asking you to acknowledge it. I'm asking you to acknowledge the Word of God. The Word of God, the only true source of complete knowledge that we have. That these places are real places. Heaven and hell, and that every one of us and every human being will spend eternity in one of these places because you just simply, you can't believe the Word of God without believing it. I read about, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Bertrand Russell. He was an agnostic British philosopher, and he once penned an essay which he entitled, Why I am not a Christian. It was interesting as I read this because I titled a sermon, almost those exact words one time, of why I'm not a Christian and tried to go through some of the excuses that people made. And, of course, he was pinning why he was not a Christian. But you know what his main objection was? I quote, 
I'm not a Christian because Jesus believed in hell. Because Jesus believed in hell. You think that's a bit strange? Well, I would say at least he knew what the Lord taught, which is more than I could say about many today that claim to have an acquaintance with scriptures. He knew it was real. And, and look, I don't deny the fact. Man, it's a hard subject. And it's a hard subject to talk to people about. But we better come to the realization of understanding it enough that it doesn't matter how hard it was that we're willing like Jesus was. He was willing to die to keep people from there. That we're willing to do whatever it cost us to keep people from it. I want us to look at these 12 places that the Bible uses in Scripture. And I want you to allow the Bible to speak for itself to define and interpret what it is that we know about this place. You see, we find right here in our passage that three of the times it's mentioned is right here in our passage today. In verse 22, he said, but I say unto you, there's a lot of things here. And let me say, if we look at this whole subject in contact, he's trying to let us know how important it is that we be right with God and that if we're going to be right with God, that we're right with each other. Because he's talking about the things that we do against others. And if we come and want to be right with him, we need to go get things straightened out with others. And he's talking about the consequences of that sin in our life. And three times in the midst of this, in sharing with us how important it is that we're right with each other to be right with God. He says there in verse 22, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka, which again was just a swear word that meant something like empty head, you know, he, he ain't got nothing, Raka, he says, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire, evil, being committed against your brother brings that you are broken with God as well, and it brings judgment in this life, but he's going on to say, but it makes you be in danger of hell fire, of Gehenna fire. The first time that Jesus used it, he's saying here that if your relationship with God is torn apart because your relationships with each other are torn apart, then you're in danger of the fire of Gehenna. And believe me, they knew exactly what the picture of Gehenna was when he was giving that description. Notice what he says down in verse 29. And if thy right eye offend thee, now, look, look at, before that he's talking about the things, the sins in our hearts. Those sins, you know, you know, you know that it was, it was murder, it was sin to kill somebody. Well, I'm telling you, it's a sin to be angry with your brother. It's a, a sin to commit adultery. Well, I'm telling you, it's a sin to even think about it, let alone do it. And he's showing the danger. And he said, if there's some part of you that you can't keep under control, that you can stay away from this sin, he uses two parts here. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. That's pretty drastic, isn't it? You can't keep your eyes on things that are godly. If your eyes are roaming to the things that are ungodly, he's saying, look, pluck it out, cast it from you. Why? Because it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into Johanna, that's drastic. In the very next verse, he goes on to say, And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. Cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body shall be cast into hell, cast into Gehanna. Now, believe me, 
Jesus is not asking you to go around maiming yourself, plucking out your eyeballs and, and cutting off your hands. He is trying to show you the awfulness of this place called hell, the awfulness of Gehenna. He said if you can't control it, you better to cut it off. You better to pluck your eye out. You better to cut your hand off than to even risk being in that place called Gehenna. If you can't get away from the sin in this life, you better do whatever you have to because the price is more than you want to pay. Gehenna, we find that if you look over next into chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 28, and I'm just running through these, I just want you to see all we're trying to lay down right now is, hey, we better acknowledge that hell is real. Gehana is real. This place called Gehana is a real place, okay? In Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 28, the Word of God says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, in Gehenna. You see, notice the context. This is at the point when Jesus is sending the twelve out into the world. He's trying to prepare them for what they're going to face in this world by standing up for him. He's trying to warn them of the rejection and the resistance that they're going to face. He's saying, but even if it comes down to being killed by man, if they want to take your life away because of your stand, because of what you're doing, don't fear them. The worst they can do is kill the body. They can't touch your soul. There's only one that can destroy both body and soul. And if he does it, there's only one, and if he does it, it's in this place called Gehenna, this place called hell. You see, in the last passage, it was the whole body being cast into Gehenna. But here, it's body and soul that's being destroyed. And that word destroyed there does not mean annihilation. He's talking about the destruction of the body and the soul, and it carries the idea of utter destruction, not necessarily of being or of existence, but of any kind of well-being, of any kind of existence that is worthwhile whatsoever, utterly and completely destroyed, body and soul in Gehenna. The next place is a few pages over in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, Notice what he says in verse 9. He says, And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. You think that's a repetition? No, this is later on. He's using that same picture again. Hey, <laughs> there is nothing, there is nothing that's worth going to this place called Gehenna. You see, if we read up, and I'm, I'm fighting the clock, if you back up and you restart reading in verse 3 where he begins talking about it, it's important to recognize that this passage is in contrast because he said in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye be converted 
and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is in stark contrast. Unless you do better than this religious crowd, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what faces you instead. Whatever you have to do in this life, whack it off, cut it off, do whatever you need to, because you don't want to go there. You don't want to be destroyed in that place called hell. We find that in this place, before, you know, it was talking about the offense of a brother. <laughs> if you read the passage here, it's talking about offending one of those children. They're in the back room back now. I was looking for one. There's that one. Offending, over there's one. <laughs> offending those little children. When you offend a child, he's giving you warning about those offenses and what might come your way. You see, we find that he makes it very clear here. If we, if we read down through these verses, he says in verse 8, he says, being cast into everlasting fire. Unless you become as that little child, you're not going to enter into the place called heaven, that one eternal abiding place. And you better be careful because, man, if you offend one of these little ones, then there's no way you can be right with God. And if you can't enter into heaven, guess what? He said, you better do whatever is necessary because you don't want to go to this place of everlasting fire. In verse 9, he says, be cast into hell fire. Everlasting fire, the fire of Gehana. Again, we find that he's making it very, very clear. Gehana's fire, an everlasting fire, is completely interchangeable here. It's what is going to be paid for that sin. A few pages over in Matthew chapter 23, notice what he says here. He says in verse 15, he says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He's talking to that religious crowd. <laughs> For ye can pass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold, more the child of hell than yourselves, more the child of Gehenna than you yourselves. <laughs> religious hypocrites. They're going around proselyting, trying to get others to follow down their religious path with them. But in the end, it's actually a path of destruction that not only they are traveling, but they're shutting up the kingdom of heaven for any chance of being entered by those that they're misleading, and they're going straight into Gehenna, straight into hell, you and those that you mislead. That's the place that is waiting for you. Notice what he says then in verse 33 of this same chapter. He says, ye serpents... Ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? He's still, he's talking to the religious crowd. I mean, we get all kind of things. There's all kind of things that are in these passages, but in the one, it's always when you can't go into heaven, when you're separated from God, it might be because you're separated from other people. You better get that thing right. It might be because of your offenses to the, to the children. It might be because of the sins that you're committing, not just in your acts, but what's going on inside of your heart and inside of your head. He says, you don't want to pay the price for these things. And here, he's even talking to the religious crowd. Now, they, on the other hand, they're not the ones out there doing those bad things. They're the ones that, that, that think that they've got everything right. They're just following their religious order, and they're getting others to do the same thing. But they're all on the way to Gehenna. They're all on the way to that same place. How 
will you escape the damnation of hell? There is no escape for you. There is nowhere else. That's the condemnation of this place called, called hell. Turn over to the Gospel of Mark. And in Mark chapter 9, we find the next time that this word is recorded in your Bible. In Mark chapter 9, notice as we begin reading in verse 42. Now this is not the same text, but he says, this is similar to the one that we read back in Matthew. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he was cast into the sea. Okay, here, you're not cutting off your hand or plucking out your eyeball. You'd be better off for somebody to tie a big, big stone around your neck that's going to weight you down and just throw you into the sea. You'd be far better off. And then he goes, if, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maim than having two hands to go into hell, the Gehenna, into the fire that never shall be quenched. The people are saying, oh, you make all this stuff up. I'm just reading straight from the Bible. And he goes on, here he says, the foot, if the foot offends you, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into hell or enter, halt into life than having two feet be cast into hell, Gehenna, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. So the fire never goes out. And the worm dieth not. Their worm. The worms. <laughs> We're talking about the old grub worm or the magnet that goes after the dead bodies. That's the picture that's being pictured here of what they're going through. You see, we find that he says here that going into hell that the fire that never shall be quenched where the worm dieth not. He repeats that in, in, in verse, verse 46. He repeats that. Down in verse 47 and 48, the picture is so clear. And then look into the next chapter in Luke. Luke chapter 12. It's amazing. The learned minds. Here in Luke chapter, chapter 12. In the meantime, when they were gathered together in an, an innumerable multitude of people, and so much that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, before he was talking to the hypocrites, <laughs> now he's talking to the people and he's warning them about those hypocrites. He said, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. You think you're hiding that thing? You think you're okay with God? You think you're convincing other people? Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear and closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell, into Gehenna. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Hell ought to bring a fear to us. Certainly a fear of going there yourself if you, don't know, if you don't know Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid of what people can say, what people will do. Do we understand? It's what we're going to one day, there's only two eternal abiding places, and we'll, we'll look at a whole lot more. But I want you to realize these. And the next verse I told you in James chapter 3, the only place in Scripture that is used by somebody besides Jesus it's used there, using the fire of Gehenna to describe the destructiveness that can be caused by the tongue. Gehenna, the same place 
The same picture is being used, but it's being used to show how destructive that we can be with our tongues. You see, Gehenna is not the only word that describes hell. It's not the only description that we've looked at in, 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 in Scripture, but it's, it's important for us to understand. Yes, Jesus talked about Hades. We saw that. But Jesus also talked about Gehenna, two separate places. Gehenna was a place that was recognized as possibly the worst place that Jesus' hearers knew of here on this earth. It was the awful place that Jesus used to picture the eternal abode of those who do not go to heaven. In many of these places, it's in that stark contrast. You can't go to heaven, but this is the alternative. We'll take this picture, and we'll build on it. We'll look at other things in Scripture, but remember, our focus today is, I want you to at least acknowledge and recognize that hell is a real place. It's not a made-up story. It's not something that religion has come up with. There are many learned minds that will try to tell you that, but many learned minds, we said time and again that any knowledge without God's knowledge is incomplete knowledge. It's not that they're dumb in the knowledge they have. They just don't have all of it, and therefore it can make their knowledge wrong. You see, we'll look in closer detail, but in this instance, I want you to recognize here this morning, Jesus did everything possible. You can't have an eternity without at least two places, and there are two places. You can't have a heaven unless sin is taken care of and kept out of there. If there's not in heaven, where does the others go? You see, the truth is, is that whoever you are, your body will die one day, but your soul will live on. We talk about eternal life that we have with him, and that's because that's a life that is worth living. But we talk about an eternal destruction in this other place because it's a place of no well-being whatsoever. It's not a matter of existence. Everyone exists somewhere. Where will you exist in eternity? You see, the God that loves you so much, he died to keep you from that place. But you can choose here today. Will you accept his gift of what he's done for you? Or will you go your own way? Do your own thing. Just like the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Hey, he told them there were a bunch of snakes. They had their religion. Your religion is not going to decide it. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a song right now for our closing song. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you this morning. You can leave this place unprepared for heaven. But when your last heartbeat comes, you've only got a glimpse. There's more to come. I'm sorry, but there's more to come. And you need to understand it. And you need to, to acknowledge that this place is real. Today, you can also acknowledge something else. That Jesus Christ is real. That he died on the cross for you. That he shed his blood. That your sins can be forgiven. And if, that's, if you don't know that, why would you want to leave here uncertain? Knowing that your soul is going to exist somewhere, there's only two eternal abiding places. Know that it's going to heaven. Know that when you leave this world, that it's not going to Hades and eventually to Gehenna, which we'll see how that works later. Today, if you're a child of God, as God maybe tried to spark in you today 
a reality of just how real this place is? Do you have lost family and lost friends that you need to be doing more to try to win to Christ? Oh, they might be offended. They might not like it. I'll tell you something. The alternative is far, far, far worse than what they think of you and me. Far worse. They need the truth. There's a right and a wrong way to give people the truth. Yes, oh, but they need the truth. They need to see the light of Jesus through your life. They don't need to see some holier-than-thou figure that's standing up here. Oh, you're all going to hell, and I'm going to heaven. <laughs> they need to see somebody like Jesus warning them, loving them, being willing to die for them, keep them out of this awful place. If you're here today, maybe you just need to make a recommitment right where you are if you need to come down. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, hey, we're all in this together till Jesus comes back. If God has spoken to your heart, if you need to respond in any way today, please do it, either where you are or down here. If you want somebody to pray with you, there's lots of people here that would be, be happy to. 